Hey everyone, Kyle here, and welcome to a special episode of Ported. In 2017, I wrote a piece on my blog, zerocounts.net, about Nintendo's big year with the Switch launch, the classic consoles, and whatnot. The piece was called Big N's Big Year. Um, I'll be sure to link to it in the show notes if you haven't had a chance to read it. The piece was linked to in Ben Thompson's Trajectory Daily Update newsletter, and shortly after the publication, Brendan Bigley, formerly of Anchor FM, approached me to talk about the article for a project he was working on at the time. Unfortunately, the audio never made it to air. It's a bit late now, but some of what we talk about is surprisingly still relevant, so I figured I'd push it out now to make sure it's not lost to time and digital ether. Uh, Needless to say, Scott won't be joining us for this one, but we hope to be back together with another episode of Ported Soon. Thanks a lot for listening, and enjoy the episode. Hey, how's your whole life? My whole life. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. It's not busy or anything. Yeah. No, I I know exactly what you mean. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Oh, by the way, you might hear trains go by. My house That's fine. Is like Same thing's going to happen here. Right on the train tracks. Um, yeah. I wanted to talk to you specifically uh, about your uh, big ends, big year piece, which I really, really like. Um, I, I think I think it's great. Thank you very uh, but much. But maybe you're welcome very much. Actually, let me ask you before we even get into this. Sure. Zero counts. Yeah. How long have you been doing this? So zero counts uh, under that name specifically, I believe. I want to say I launched that in 2014, but before that, it, it had taken many iterations. Um, what had happened there was um, I've, I've been blogging in various formats um, for a number of years, and I had started a, a blog called The State of Gaming. It was sort of a pretentious title that wanted to um, to look at gaming from the lens of education, politics, business, things that weren't necessarily game-specific, so not reviews or anything of that nature, more of an industry look and how it's impacting culture at large. And I, uh, every now and then I would post a review of something, and I posted a review of, um, I think it was Mario Kart 8 when it launched, and it got picked up on Daring Fireball. And at that time, once that, or once that happened, I uh, sort of started thinking maybe I need to sort of change. I wasn't wild about the idea of the state of gaming as making, you know, that my impetus, I guess. And so I decided to change up the design and and find a new name. And the name came inspired from this um, thing that my stepbrother and I used to say when we played old NES games. And that was, you know, we, we couldn't ever tell on those old games if one life left meant you had one life left or zero meant you had one life left. So there were many games. I I feel like that we always said, well, zero counts. Zero is, you know, this says I have one life left, but I know I can use up that one and still have one left. So zero counts is where that came from. Um, and ever since I've just been, you know, whenever there's a a hint of inspiration, um, primarily gaming, I'll write about it. Um, obviously this has been a big year for Nintendo, which I think of, of all the different players in, in gaming is probably the one that I, I care most deeply about. But, you know, it, it ebbs and flows. It, it, uh, it's a pendulum, you know, between the big three and then um, anything else that's happening. And then if anything else catches my eye, uh, even out, you know, outside of gaming, I'm happy to write about it if it's something that I'm thinking about continually. So, Yeah, that's really interesting. Let, uh, let me ask you a follow-up question which might be a little bit uh, bigger and more existential on your end, but why, why do it? Why, why write this blog? It's simply because I don't think I can't 
write the, the blog. You know, it's sort of a creative outlet. I went through, you know, a number of years not having some creative outlet. I was sort of focused on my career and, and making shifts um, there. And, and you know, I re- had realized that I was putting so much time into focusing on what my career was that I needed some form of outlet, you know, for lack of a better term, things like, you know, depression, anxiety, that sort of stuff kind of start seeping in when you don't really have some sort of outlet. And writing was really the only real outlet I felt, you know, that I could do without, you know, with, with a, you know, fair amount of ease. And I also wanted to get into, you know, front end, um, you know, web design and things like that too. So it was a way to practice, uh, that sort of, that sort of stuff. Um, on the side, you know, I, I would play music and, I used to draw when I was young, but this is just something that, you know, comes a bit more natural, I think. So the simple answer is I can't not write. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, I always wonder, um, I always wonder the, the people who keep their own blogs in that way. Like why do it? Cause I, I used to, uh, before I started working at anchor, which like ever since I started there, I just have not had time to write anything at all because I'm just producing audio every single day. It's like, I'm, I'm, speaking out loud all the things I would be typing but um I always questioned myself like why why am I even writing like it doesn't it doesn't matter why why do I feel the need to write like you know a thousand words about the new Instagram icon it doesn't matter but I have to I feel I feel like a weird deep down like almost religious need to do it it's very strange yeah you know I think our generation we have that the ability to have that outlet. It's not something I've been reading a lot about like analog tech and where press began. And it's not, it's not dissimilar from the beginning of say, you know, print, um, you know, people would write up little sketches on pieces of paper or, or when the, you know, letterpress started, like just pound out, you know, little pamphlets and whatnot, and that would spiral into, you know, larger things, magazines, newspapers, books. And, and, um, I mean, that really kind of dovetails into this whole like fake news stuff is, is there were, there were loonies out there when, you know, print was still a big thing. There still are. So it's, you know, that without going off on a crazy tangent, um, why write about anything, I guess. And for me, it's, it's a lot of practice. I'm going to write professionally, you know, even in the setting of like emails and meeting notes and things like that. So why not just practice on the web in in some kind of format? The bigger question is, um, you know, where to do it. Do you do it on, you know, medium? Do you, do you look at Twitter as a, as a new format of, of blogging and, and pushing out your content? Um, and for me, starting zero counts on my own, you know, hosted WordPress site is that I own the content, which I think is something that a lot of people have kind of gotten away from. And it's important to, you know, that I own my writing, whether it goes somewhere or not. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's practice. It's an outlet. Um, if something's on my mind and I just can't shake it, um, it's, it's a way just to get it out, clear my head. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about Nintendo. Sure. Let's let's do it. I was thinking we could just like maybe go through this post because I think I think it's fascinating. I mean, you basically just lay out everything that Nintendo did in the entire year, uh, starting with the like freaky like insecurities that people had about their entire brand before the Switch even dropped, which I think is kind of a really great place to start because the Wii U was like a real mess, uh, real mess. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I think I, before writing this piece, I sort of knew that a lot of people were going to be writing this piece 
but I didn't know when that would happen. And so I figured I, you know, somebody's got to do it. Let's just kick this off. And, um, I, so, you know, it all kind of started pre switch and that was the, you know, with the Wii U, um, there was sort of Nintendo's fumble with marketing, you know, is this a new console? Is it an addition to the, you know, the popular Wii? Uh, what is this thing? And then people that actually got their hands on it weren't real sure how to use the device. Um, you know, for those unfamiliar, the Wii U is this sort of, you know, TV set top console, but one of the controllers, the main controller is this big, you know, sort of clumsy tablet thing that looks like it was made by PlaySchool for, you know, for kindergartners and um, real kind of clunky, bad piece of tech, but you could start sort of see the ideas, um, some interesting ideas coming out of the Wii U. But anyways, commercial flop basically. And at that point, this this dovetails into you know everything else that's happening in the tech and gaming space. You know, everybody has a smartphone on them. Mobile gaming's blowing up. Um, the HD twins that I like, how I like to refer to them, um, you know, Sony and Microsoft are pushing the PS4, you know, very successful PS4 launch and um, Xbox One, you know, maybe not as successful as the, the PS4. That's a whole different topic. But, um, you know, still it's, it's a heavy hitter. And can Nintendo really compete in this space where there's just, you know, players all over the place? And, um, and it's, I think it's funny that, you know, one single, what feels like one single misstep, um, a lot, a lot of folks were just ready to write them off. And there's sort of this, you know, I guess idea that not idea, but there's, there's a philosophy that you never write off Nintendo, but I feel like no matter how many times, how many missteps they have, whether it's the GameCube or, you know, the Wii U, um, people still do. And, that's what began happening is folks started writing them off. Do they even belong in this space? Should they produce consoles? Maybe they should put stuff on iOS or, or Android. Maybe they should sell to Disney or Apple. Um, you know, some folks wink, wink, uh, think they should retire Mario, um, things like this. So, uh, really interesting place for Nintendo in the mainstream, but I don't, in all, all honesty, when you look at it, I don't think they were really concerned. I think they were sitting on a bed of cash and right, you know, that's they, what was, yeah, yeah they, they had their wins from the Wii and they were still living on that. They had plenty of opportunity to, to, you know, write the ship. Um, and, uh, and they did. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I was in Nintendo's position during the Wii U and I knew that we were developing the Switch, it's like, okay, well, we're making maybe the best games we've ever made for this console that no one's buying. That means we could just sell them again next time. Like, it's going to be, you know, we're going to be making money hand over fist, just like putting the word deluxe at the end of these games and then selling them again on the Switch. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, did you have a Wii U? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I got to the Wii U a little later in its life cycle. Um and uh, to be honest, I loved it. I think it, it has some of Nintendo's best gaming experiences. Um, you know, the virtual console was robust and, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but it had an HD, HDMI output. It was, you know, which was HD amazing for degree. Nintendo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it had a plethora of, of content on it and I could see, you know, what they were doing and see that that was sort of this, this novel idea of being able to take console gaming on you know in kind of a portable format um i don't think i saw it as far as this the switch would take it but um i did have it i did enjoy it um and yeah i i really i hope they start as you say start moving some of that content that 
only a limited amount of folks had an opportunity to play over to the Switch. Yeah, I think uh, the the first major one, or at least I guess the only one that we've seen so far is Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, which probably the smartest move, I would say, of all the things that you could port over from the Wii U to the Switch. It seems like the the best display of what the Switch is capable of in a way. Yeah, I, I would I would say, I mean, you could take a step back a little bit and say that, you know, the launch title, uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, that was, you know, this, you know, reading about it, that was originally intended to just to be a, you know, Wii U title. But when the Switch came around, that development team was told, no, you need to be able to port this to the Switch. So it actually launched on both consoles, which I think they're, you know, in the mainstream audience, there's people don't really realize that, that this is actually a Wii U title that they moved over and ported over. And it may perform better on the Switch too, which is great, but um, it still was intended for both. And, but you're right, the, uh, you know, Mario Kart 8, um, throw Deluxe at the end, unlock everything and allow this, you know, the audience to play this game that only a small sliver of, of people got to play originally. And to be honest, I think it's, you know, the best Mario Kart. And for a title that's so, you know, um, just so will always be in the zeitgeist is is so popular um amongst everybody i I made this quip in in that post i talked about earlier uh, that landed on daring fireball that you know people you know make the the ism that it's some things like riding a bicycle well you can make the same the same is true for mario kart it's like playing mario kart you know um it's familiar for everybody who's ever grown up with it from super mario kart all the way through you know 64 and, and above and so being able to port that the best Mario Kart ever over to this new device early in the life cycle just to get, um, you know, folks playing and taking advantage of this, you know, built in local multiplayer setup they have um, is fascinating. I um, one of my stories there, not to ramble on about Mario Kart, but um, I would love to ramble on about Mario Kart. It's <laughs> all I want to do. The day it came out, I brought my switch to work and um you know, I set it up in the office and nobody had seen a switch yet. And they're like, Oh, that's, that's what it is. And they had heard about it, but they weren't really aware. And so, you know, I cracked off the joy cons, didn't crack them off, slid them off as they're supposed to, uh, no cracked off the joy cons and, you know, handed one to, to one person, another to another. And, uh, sure enough, you know, in a matter of minutes, we had this office wide Mario Kart eight tournament going on, on a little switch playing split screen on the tiny screen itself with joy cons and, um, had a hell of a time. It was great. Um, and I think that's exactly what, you know, Nintendo saw with Mario Kart was here's an opportunity where we can really showcase everything this little console has to offer, um, by recycling a title that we have sitting out here on that nobody ever played. Yeah. What's really fascinating about the switch versus uh, what, what did you call the PS4 and the Xbox one? Uh, I refer to them as the HD twins. The HD twins. Uh, the Switch versus the HD twins is whenever you see a demo at E3, let's say, for a game coming out for one of the HD twins, they always have some kind of very like forced, weird dialogue happening whenever they're showing off multiplayer with like actors pretending to actually say like, okay, there's a bogey on your left or like a bogey at three o'clock. It's like nobody's ever going to do that. They released the first ad for the Switch when they announced the thing. And you see these shots of people on a rooftop, like all crowded around the little tiny screen of the Joy-Cons. And it's like, nobody's going to do that. And like, uh, what's the band playing in the background? White Denim. There's like a White Denim song playing in the back. It's like really high energy. It's like, no one's going to do that. I had the exact same 
experience that you did. We were at uh, an offsite for Anchor, and I had a Switch, and one of my coworkers had a Switch, and we both had Mario Kart, and we did local multiplayer, uh, four-player, with four Joy-Cons, and it was, like, ridiculous. And it was the first time that most of those people in that room had seen the Switch before, and they were all like, I want one. I want one immediately. Yeah, and granted, it's small, and, and people get that, but like the potential is just built in. It's, it's incredible. And I think about, you know, during the holiday season, which, which we're in right now at the time of this recording, but you know, if I'm by, if I'm a parent and I've got, you know, a couple kids, like just buying this one console and allowing them to, to play on a road trip or at home together, like it's, it's a, incredible. It's such a, you know, there's so much value in this, in this little device. And I mean, without saying too much, it really just kind of brings to life everything we did ever all the potential we'd ever seen in video games um, from, you know, the NES and Game Boy all the way through now, like we're seeing the realization of, of the dream. What we've always wanted is to be able to take that console level game on the road and not only do that, but be able to play it with other people at the same time. It's wild. Yeah. So kind of a, a bigger question about the Switch, I guess, then do you see this as like, do you see this as Nintendo's competitor to the HD twins or do you see this more as an entirely new device kind of in the same way that the Game Boy was when that came out yeah that's interesting you know I saw this thread I think on on Twitter the other day but from Chris Kohler um and you know he was making the case that this is a third category and I kind of get that um I do see that taking taking PS4 and Xbox One out of the question one thing I've been I've actually been recommending you know, during the holidays right now is, is telling parents to pick up 3DSs or 2DSs for their kids um, and not necessarily recommending the Switch um, because there's just so much great content out there and they're great little devices for entry-level gamers. They, you know, at, at a great price point. And so I think that in a weird way, this thing does sort of fit in as like a, th- a third category, at least for now. Um I think ultimately, yeah, the 3DS line will phase out and everything will move Switch. Switch may, maybe they find some way to make the thing more compact or cheaper or something down the road um, or a couple different flavors, bigger and smaller, whatever. Um, in relation to the, the larger guys, you know, I, I obviously this is that's a question that I think Nintendo asks themselves, like how do they compete in this space? But I, I truly think that they sort of are... What Nintendo does well is that they look at how you know how can we be different not necessarily compete or need to compete but how can we innovate how can we change things they did it with the Wii most obviously where they kind of were the first at the table with a good motion control setup and um and Wii U they tried something it didn't quite work but it was moving in a, in a direction that was different and unique and and with the Switch I think they see that especially now with sales booming like they are that they don't necessarily need to compete in this you know HD space in this in this you know, pro gamer, quote unquote space that what they have is, you know, to quote a piece that, that, you know, I actually quoted from Ben Kachera at Polygon, what they've done is created something that's good enough. And they're seeing the returns from something, creating something that is good enough that most people don't need a 4k HDR, you know, uh, VR setup. They just want to take these games, these characters, this IP that they love, um, and, play it anywhere so i think they they've you know i think it's actually the reverse is that others are may need to start thinking about well how can we get into this new space this new category that nintendo has created and and you could argue that sony tried that with the ps you know the the psp and the vita but um 
and maybe their IP wasn't strong enough. But um, I, I think those folks are going to have to start thinking a little bit more about how to move towards this portable space. Yeah, I was going to say before the Switch, the Vita was far and away my favorite console, handheld or uh, like big, you know, HDTV juggernaut uh, that I had ever used in my life. I mean, the library on that thing was absolutely ridiculous. They were porting games from the PS2 to the Vita uh, all throughout that life cycle. And it was like unbelievable. Plus, I had remote play, which would allow me to play PS4 games on the Vita. It was really kind of like having a Switch a couple of years before the Switch came out. Obviously, since then, Sony has since uh, mentioned the Vita less and less and less as press conferences have gone by. It's almost like a running gag now that, you know, how many times like take a shot every time uh, Sony mentions the Vita on stage and you'll never take a shot. You won't even have to open the bottle. Um, But that thing was incredible. And I'm wondering if they're now revisiting the idea of bringing the Vita back as a Vita 2 just because of the monumental success of the switch could be could be an interesting future xbox no idea they've never even tried to get into that space you no know? and and yeah i don't you know i don't know if they uh, they might be wise enough to know that that's not really their play you know they may in fact they're kind of moving in that other direction where they want everything on xbox on pc as well they have a lot of questions they have to answer again topic for another day but yeah it, it'll be interesting to see what others do I, my fear if i'm in sony shoes right now is nintendo is going to get I think hopefully such a big jump on third parties moving over to this third parties that maybe have a deep relationship with Sony right now. Bethesda, we're seeing a ton of you know content that's that's on PS4 already moving to the Switch in sort of a stripped down version, but it's moving over that way. And you know what happens if Square jumps on board and others that you know that have sort of moved in the Sony direction. Yeah, I mean, there were rumor there were rumors last week that uh, FromSoft was going to bring the Dark Souls games to Switch, which I was like over the moon about, just to play those games again in a handheld form on a train, throw my Switch across the train. That was going to be great. Um, but I already, interestingly enough, have become a lost sale on Wolfenstein 2 on PS4 because I just heard that Bethesda might be moving that over to the Switch. So now I'm just like holding off on buying that until that potentially happens. Like it, it's already happening. You know, I thought that these ports might have just been last gen ports, but if Bethesda's moving their way over to just taking whatever's new and fresh, like if Fallout 4 comes to Switch, obviously I'll buy that again. You know, no question. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting uh, time we're in now for the Switch. I mean, I we could go like down the rabbit hole of all the indie games and how that's kind of become like, you know, the non PC hub for indie games more than the PS4 already in just a couple months. Oh, yeah. There's been a deluge of, you know, indies that have, have dropped onto the switch and that they're you know folks are finding a home there which is fantastic and uh, i mean not only the the indies but just the some of the first party titles that you know that uh nintendo's put out have been fantastic in the third parties as well um the library is already fantastic like almost overwhelming yeah in a way it hasn't been a year <laughs> we haven't gone through holiday like it's I'm, I'm more interested to see what nintendo will do next year you know, with their content, I think they're probably, they'll probably double down on figuring out the social and online portions of switch, um, and let the third parties sort of fill in the, the gap. Um, I imagine that's what will happen, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see them take a little bit of a backseat next year to, for third parties, which is like, that is the exact opposite of how every other Nintendo console has gone so far. Um, that'd be really fascinating. Yeah. I, I mean, 
all I need next year is an Animal Crossing game, and uh, I'm good. I'm good. I can sell the Xbox. I can sell the PS4. I could probably sell my computers um, and maybe quit my job, and then I'm good. I just play Animal Crossing forever. It sounds smart. I think you could pull it off. I think that's it's doable. Um, yeah, I mean, if as I'll go back to Square, if Square starts porting some of their old their content, actually, that's an interesting thing too. Is does the Switch afford these third parties to not necessarily build new content, but port old catalog and not even old catalog that's like PS3 era, but are we going to begin to start seeing PS2 era content move over? You know, some of these HD remasters that the PS3 and PS4 saw, like there is a, a wealth of of uh, content out there that they could just, I imagine, I've never ported a video game myself, but I imagine it's... Uh, <laughs> oh, no? pay a third party to port this content over to this new device and um you know they could see returns and and then try to understand what this the market's about i think i think one of the biggest questions for me in 2018 is just does the virtual console even happen uh because does it need to right does it need to especially when nintendo is focused so heavily on doing this you know insert console here classic um system and that is obviously selling incredibly well for them do they even need to do virtual console um i hope they do i would love to play earthbound uh on the switch personally but i could understand why they wouldn't let me the classics are nice i have both of them but they're novel things you know it'd be nice to be able to take these things on the go and and have just more than 20 or 30 games preloaded um you know that's one reason why i recommend the 3ds to some folks is like there's the virtual console there it's got a ton of that content on it as well so i'm hoping that 2018 we see a game boy classic Whew. i would buy that in for i have not bought the nes or the super nintendo classic but i would buy a game boy classic in a heartbeat what would that look like would it be the same size as the original game would, boy i think it would just be a game boy that has like a little tiny uh little tiny chip in there just you know loaded with games i would assume if it were it, if it were the size of the original Game Boy, I'd be all over that thing. It like would, tank, like tank Game Boy or Game Boy color size. Like I would go original. I, you Game know Boy what? Pocket. Po- Pocket was good. Pocket was good. But I, I'd have the original in my office and uh, at work. And uh, there's such a, it's got such a good feel. Those buttons, man, there's something about them. And uh, the only request I would have, the only modification I would say is it needs a backlit screen. That yeah, would agreed. crush me if, oh, man. Those were the days. Unless they they let you plug the little uh, spiral light, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, or a hand. I think it was called Handy Boy. Do you remember this thing? It was a. Oh, is it the the big like thing that you put over the screen? Yeah, it was like a magnifying magnifying glass. Magnifying glass, big old speakers left right that come out of the side of it. You could hook up like a joystick instead of a D pad. It was it was incredible. So yeah, I mean the classic series, fun. Um, I'd go for a, a you know. The Nintendo 64 classic. I imagine they would stop it at that too. I think there's, you know, the difference between the the fidelity between um, the 64 and the GameCube. I think crosses an era. I think GameCube is so close to what we have today um, in some regard, rounded corners, things like that. Um, that it wouldn't be quite as novel. Hey, go have dinner. This was Good a lot inspired. of fun. If you want to get into this anymore, let me know. Um, sorry, my schedule's so limited. Move over to the West Coast. It's easier over here. Yeah. I Hey, maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Yeah. Have a good one. Yeah. See ya. 
Thanks again for listening. A couple of additional notes. You probably heard me mention something about depression and anxiety during that episode. Something that's really helped me during the last few years is reading. While I still love video games, much more of my leisure time nowadays is spent reading books. Inspired by something I heard on the New York Times Book Review podcast, I started publishing some of my favorite excerpts from the books I'm reading on a new Zero Counts vertical called Zero Commons. You can find it at zerocounts.net slash commonplace. Also, speaking of podcasts, namely ones that have been away for a while, Robert Ashley of the Life Well Wasted podcast and the band I Come to Shanghai was recently on the final episode of the Checkpoints podcast. I bring this up because A Life Well Wasted was not just a podcast that I enjoyed. It was the podcast that got me into podcasts. It's extremely well produced and only a handful of episodes long. I urge you to check it out. So much so that I'm going to leave you with a clip to whet your appetite. Until next time, this is Kyle Starr for Scott Taylor, and thanks for listening to Ported. I, my voice is really, really bad. Oh, I don't mind. Okay. I, li- I like a bad voice. Okay. Uh, Too much partying. Yeah, uh, understandable. I'm here at the Game Developers Conference in San Francisco, a yearly meetup for much of the gaming industry. It's a pretty boring event if you're not into sitting through talks about advanced techniques and artificial intelligence and staring at PowerPoint presentations all day. But it's a rare opportunity for man-on-the-street interviews about gaming. Practically anyone I run into here is a knowledgeable insider, an expert in the field, and I have a single, simple question. This is like an easy but surprisingly tough-to-answer question. Uh, And the question is, why do you play video games? Yeah, because it's fun. (laughs) Anything else? Because it's addictive. (laughs) Because I've done it all my life, and uh, I think it's more fun than watching TV. Why do I play video games? Uh, Because it's fun. Because it's stimulation. It's really fun, and it's all about making a time when you would be sitting doing nothing exciting. Because they're fun. And? <laughs> Something to do in your spare time? Yeah. You got a lot of spare time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a lot of spare time. I'm 30 years old, going on 90, married and juggling odd jobs to make ends meet. I've been playing games regularly since I was six or seven. I spent months probably years of my life twiddling my thumbs in front of a screen. Games are my default pastime, the thing I do when I've got time to kill, which is rare these days. The thing is, I'm not really sure what I get out of all that time invested. I have no idea why I play, and I worry that it might be for the same reason these guys play. Get away from reality for a while. To escape. Is it that bad? They're fun and escape from reality, I guess. <laughs> All right, I play video games to escape reality, get my mind off things, and because they're mad fun. Because it's fun. It helps me forget about my life, my horrible life. That's, that's, a, that's a non-inspiring. <laughs> <laughs> Is that depressing? <laughs> no, it's great. Why do you play video games? Uh, to fight the boredom and monotony of day-to-day existence. Do you, do you feel like it... It contributes to your life in any way? Do you no. feel like no? <laughs> no, it uh, it just helps to get away from the day-to-day monotony of uh, the horror of existence. <laughs> I I like this answer. Okay, thanks. I thought, I'm I just... thought you might. Welcome to a life well wasted, an internet radio show about video games and the people who love them. I'm your editor and host, Robert Ashley, and this is episode three, 
why again? Ooh, that's, uh, that's a big question. It's a yeah. big-ass question. Uh, it's uh, uh, relieve boredom uh, and a uh, sense of accomplishment that I can't get in my real life. I started playing video games because I could do things in a video game that I couldn't do I'm stuck at home when I was 12 years old. Yeah. Like what? Like save the world, be a great. Uh, actually, I like I like money. <laughs> <laughs> so I could like have a character where I collected a bunch of money and bought a bunch of shit and made myself cooler and cooler. I would say I do it to, in some ways, step through kind of basically step through a door into just a different headspace. I mean, it's about you know being ambiently displaced. So you know, I guess immersion is why I play games. I like to go to another world. For opportunities for immersion, sure. It's hard to answer because I started playing video games when I was 12 and I don't think it was like a conscious decision. It was just like, this is a boring life, what's cool? Oh, video games are cool, let me do that. <laughs> You get to play in a, in a different world. It's, it's fantastic. Um, you know, the, the, for those two hours a day, you get to be a different person. I actually use it as relaxation. There's nothing I like better than giblets and bits of viscous fluids from zombies flying over my face digitally. Um, I actually find dismembering the undead extremely therapeutic. Um, it's like, I read something about sewing once or needlecraft, like you keep the hands busy and the mind is free to wander. It's the same thing with games. Uh, it puts you into that a good game will put you into that zen-like trance and you can, you know, daydream whilst getting some cognitive, you know, therapy done. <laughs> do, you, do you ever feel like it's wasting your time? Do you ever feel like it's not a good thing for you? Well, I think I used to, and then I started working in the industry. So now I'm like, awesome! I think I could probably even charge for this time. Kick ass! <laughs> now it's profitable. Take that, Mom. I'm not saying that games are a complete waste of time, but who hasn't felt a tinge of regret after spending a perfect Saturday afternoon shut up in the living room? Who hasn't wished they'd spent a little less time gaming and a little more time reading? Or that they could put some of the energy spent playing games into doing something a little more productive? That's what a researcher from Carnegie Mellon University is doing with his gaming site, Games with a Purpose. So my name is Luis Fonan and I am a professor of computer science at Carnegie Mellon University. And my research involves trying to find ways to get millions of people uh, to work together on the internet to perform tasks that computers cannot yet perform. It always struck me when I saw these statistics about how much time people were spending playing games, either online or you know, using video consoles. The average American by age 21 has played 10,000 hours of computer and video games. Uh, when you actually do that calculation, that's like an equivalent of five years of full-time work. The number of hours that Solitaire has been played in a single year is significantly larger than the number of hours that it took to build the Panama Canal, for example. This all started with the thought of, is there any way in which we can capture the all the time that is wasted by people playing games uh, online. And, and I'm gonna say wasted, you know, it's like quote unquote wasted because you know, people do need to relax. Uh, so it's not necessarily wasted, but it can, can we capture that time? And while you're playing a game, you're actually doing a lot of thinking, uh, usually. So can we capture that mental energy? And, and the answer is yes. And so what, what 
some of my me and some of my research team members have been working on for a while is trying to make games in which as people play them they're actually performing tasks that computers cannot yet perform that are somehow useful for humanity. 